know the music, and you know the drill. Take a seat, grab some extra serviettes for all the food to come. My name is Chris, and I will be your server this week for another bonus food episode, our fifth. This week, a special offer. You can take your audio here or Togo. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. So one thing I, I learned that, you know, body language can change in cultures, not only the language, but kind of a lighter note was I was going to get pizza locally and I wanted chicken and I didn't speak Bulgarian, um, but my Bulgarian friends were like, oh, this will be interesting to see this uh, Kentucky kid order. I'm like, I was trying to get creative. And so I just made a, a sound that a chicken makes. And they still didn't understand me. And then my Bulgarian friend said, oh, this is how chicken sounds in Bulgarian. I'm like, oh, even the animal sounds are different. And so sometimes you've got to be creative. Other times you just got to be happy with the pizza you get. This week, why do all the American takeout places have the name of my country? Asked the guy from Togo. Three words, deep fried Twinkies and Halushki, the Slovakian dumpling experience. Join us on a journey around the world to tickle your taste buds. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. Ooh, yes. The first time that I ate from uh, Bob Evers, I was surprised to see a bag. Togo, home to go, and I said, come on, uh, people eat my country here because it is uh, home to go, it's to go, but it is written T-O-G-O, just like uh, my country. I said, come on, and uh, you know, people were laughing, it's just, I was joking, you know. And also I found a T here, which is uh, Tazo, it is T-A-Z-O, uh, which is uh, the name of uh, one of my best friends uh, back in Togo. And I said, come on, this is cannibalism. People drink my friend here. And this it was just a coincidence. I even took a picture of that tea and sent it back uh, to my friend. And he called back and laughed, you know. <laughs> he was surprised. This is, you know, I like it. Kazakhstan, uh, immediately before my Fulbright, I learned that if you have a guest that you want to show extra respect to, they'll take like the head of a sheep and boil it. Um, and then that person has to cut off pieces and serve it. So like, for instance, if I am the one that's carving the head, I might give you an ear and tell you that I wish that people hear and take to heart what you have to say, or I might give you a tongue so that you speak softly. 
for an American, like the first time that I ever saw that, it was really jarring just to see like a boiled head. And I remember like my my boss at the time when she visited, my colleagues and friends of ours did it for her husband. And we knew that it was going to happen. And I was telling them like, you can't do this. It's going to be off-putting for Americans. And I specifically came over to help them cook and they hid it from me like in a pot on the back of the stove and I didn't know and it, I mean he was a good sport about it her husband was but um it, it's still off-putting to see like a giant boiled head I love potatoes and I love doughy things and that is Slovak food is sausages and potatoes and dumplings so many different kinds of dumplings that I've like have never heard of when I asked my students when I first got to Slovakia um what do you suggest I see or do you know I think teenagers are always like this they're like eh, I don't really care for my home so they were usually like, I don't even know why you're here in Slovakia. <laughs> but they would, when pushed, they would say, you should see the Tatras, the mountains, and you should make sure to enjoy some halushki, which is their dumplings. So I enjoyed a lot of halushki, and I went hiking a lot. So I did everything they suggested. They also like their castles there. Big fans of their castles. most people probably don't realize is the importance of food in Ukrainian culture. The famine, 1932-33, caused by Stalin, was just a horrific time in their culture. I'm sure that the importance of food um, certainly, I don't know if it stems from that, but it certainly focuses. I, I, I think somewhere in the Ukrainian psyche, it rests which makes food really important, but they do know how to enjoy food and they really know how to enjoy eating. And I think Ukrainian food is the best food in the world. And I don't, I, and, and I'm sure the listeners are going, oh yeah, um, and I'll tell you, oh yeah, you gotta try it. Now I'm not saying try it in the United States. I'm saying go to Kiev and try it in Kiev. It's a tad bit different. I'm fortunate in that my uh, lovely daughter, daughter-in-law, her mom is probably one of the best cooks I've ever met in my life. We always go to the village. We, we bring our sons, Ben and Dan. Ben is known for his eating, very thin guy, but really eating. So he really impresses them in the village by the um, amount of food he consume, can consume, which makes you godlike in a Ukrainian mother's eyes. So I've seen Ben sitting there with piles of chicken wings in front of them. And let me tell you, the, the chickens and, and such, when you go to the village, you talk about free range. No, these chickens are, they just, they're just running around. Um, I refer to it as, oh, you want chicken tonight? You, you, you point at that chicken, and the next thing you know, is people go, oh, it's not frozen? I go, and it's never been refrigerated. The chicken is really fresh. And because they romp around, they are descended from dinosaurs, as you can tell by their size. So a chicken wing in Ukraine is like an entire chicken you would pick up from a rotisserie in a grocery store here. So when, when um, Oksana's mom sees the pile of 
chicken wings in front of Ben. It's just an incredible experience for her. As I said, he's super thin, but even Ben has to unbutton his pants and then go lie down for a while and then come back for more. I think a lot of Arab food has become more popular in recent years here in America, so it was interesting seeing like the real authentic hummus and falafel and shawarma and things like that. But uh, I'm of Indian American background, and so I tend to eat um, spicier foods. And going to Jordan, there is not a lot of spicy food. So I remember coming back from my uh, coming back from Jordan and having my mom's food again. I, it, it was way too spicy for me after my palate had, had adjusted. In terms of like rest, going out to different restaurants and things, uh, it was always it always felt like an adventure because I'd have to you know plan what I was going to say and try not to mess up. But uh, and always asking um, whoever was speaking to speak shui shui slowly so I could understand. Uh, definitely something that comes to mind is actually uh, a Yemeni restaurant called Bab al Yemen, and the owner was very friendly. And um, there were these gigantic pieces of bread. Yemeni bread is really famous for that. And it's kind of charred and huge and takes up half the table. And so definitely that type of finger food plus the Yemeni curry was really interesting. But what was more special is that the owner of the restaurant would come and talk to us. And he, we spoke to him in Arabic and told him what we were studying. And then a few minutes later, after he waited at some other tables, he'd come back and ask us to practice his English. So it was definitely opportunities like that. But um, one time my host mom made us chicken liver and it was the first time I had had um, chicken liver. And unfortunately, you know, usually all of her cooking, I devour it, but chicken liver, I was, we didn't mesh well together. But uh, and a Jordanian phrase that uh, people say when something is, a meal is ex- uh, exceptionally delicious is Ya Allah Shuzaki, which means, oh God, what deliciousness. And I said it pretty much after every meal. great opportunity to see the small traditions like for example like marshmallow and uh, what is it called the s'mores yeah so that was the first experience i i loved it (laughs) so even when i went back home i uh, took some uh, chocolate with me and the crackers and i uh, made some for my family back at home and some of my friends it was a great experience and um, even when we ever have like some campfires with the the local community with some friends we always like that's one of the main things on the list Central Asia, like if you're in a, a coffee shop or something and there are brownies on the menu, I discovered pretty quickly that Nasiba loved them and always wanted to order them, but I was always disappointed because they don't quite understand the difference between like a brownie and chocolate cake. Theirs to me read more cakey than fudgy. And so I promised her I would teach her how to make real brownies 
and so first I had to teach myself to do it completely from scratch because there's nothing like box mix over there. But then once I succeeded, I showed her. Um, and now that's like the only kind of brownies she'll eat. She won't let anyone order them in a restaurant because it's not authentic enough. So that was always really funny to me, like especially on her birthday. Like she didn't want cake, she just wanted a brownie. At midnight on her birthday, I made a big pan of them and we put candles in them. <laughs> Okay, so I was told that I just have to try uh, deep fried Twinkie because that's like Midwest thing. <laughs> and I did try. I, I tried deep fried Twinkie and I tried uh, deep fried Oreo cookies. So, oh yeah, man, you love deep fried things. It's like deep fried pickles. That's what I tried as well. Um, it sounded better than it tasted. It was just, you know, hot pickle. But, <laughs> but, so, but I've tried it all. In general, I, I do miss... Uh, Eastern European food and um, and I miss you know some very basic things I'd say uh, so I, I tried to to look for them I went to Polish store in Hamtramck uh, <laughs> where I got a couple of things that I missed in summer back at home for three months so I made a deal with myself I'm gonna eat a lot you know <laughs> everything that I missed for the last nine months but I've tried I'm I'm trying to try I, I really love banana bread. This is something that I want to take, you know, back. I knew about it before, but it's really good here and you make really good here. Banana bread. That's my thing here. I ate something here, as I told you, pumpkin bread. I know pumpkin, pumpkin, that we can find pumpkin in our country, but I never knew it could be possible to make any bread with it. When, moreover, it is very sweet. I, I did like it. I, I was, you know, uh, I liked that one. Mm. food <laughs> and I feel part of exploring the culture is exploring the food so for example whenever I travel I try to look what's the main like what's the most popular dish in that area with the globalization lots of things became like popular everywhere but still you can find like some unique plates one of the things that I loved was in Chicago when I visited Chicago uh, during Thanksgiving uh, we've seen the parade and then we went and had uh, the pizza the deep dish that was unique and I'm amazed how this hasn't been like spread all around the world until now that was one of the best dishes I ever tried we went there for a few days and we kept we're like what are we going to eat we kept having it over and over <laughs> we were not bored of it and it was so special what else there are a texas barbecue that was also one of the best things <laughs> now i'm getting hungry <laughs> remembering all these things mm -hmm. 
2233 is produced by The Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of The Collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. In this episode, our taste buds were tempted by Hodobolu Anate, Anna Zubitska, Alyssa Meyer, Annie Erling Gofus, Richie Mathis, Mark Pollins, Minu Bushanan, and Doreen Tadros. We thank them for their stories and their courage to try all of these new things. For more about ECA exchanges, check out eca.state.gov. And we encourage you to subscribe to 2233 because really where else are you going to get your bonus food episodes? And we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. In fact, you can send us your favorite food stories at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. Complete episode transcripts can also be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. Special thanks to everybody for the courage to try the food and the courage to tell their story. Featured music during this segment was Variation Waldheim by Blue Dot Sessions. The music at the top of each food episode is Monkeys Spinning Monkeys by Kevin McLeod, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagir Lius. Until next time. I was thinking that I was, that I didn't even finish the first mile, but then I was more than halfway through. And then I zoomed and I passed like 50 people in front of me. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I have all this energy left. What am I going to do with it? Because I was saving my energy at first and I didn't know. Oh. <laughs> and then I zoomed and then I passed a lot of people. So it was just so cool. And then uh, my host parents were there and I didn't know that they were coming, but they came like to cheer and they were taking videos of me running and I was <laughs> I was almost crying at first, but then I was <laughs> And then my coach came and like he gave me a hug. He was like, I would never expect that. And that was just like an awesome feeling. And I thought, oh, if my parents were around, that would be great. Just because it's not something that I would do back home. It's something that I will never forget. My friends and my family knows me as a person who doesn't really like doing anything extra, especially that involves nature and going outside and something dirty. Here I've changed in every single way I've known myself. A little bit over than a month ago I went on this trip to Hawaii and we did a lot of extremely outgoing stuff, including nature, that I never thought I would ever do. And one of the most memorable ones was the firm volunteering service that we did went to this local farm and helped the farmer to push the mud together to make the rows that were needed for the plantations. So we basically were thrown deep into the mud, pushing this dirt all over the place. And I would never ever imagine myself doing something like that. For sure, my 
friends or relatives would never think that Alex or Akko would do it. So I thought that this is not me. I remember myself six months ago, I wasn't doing that. I would never even touch anything dirty, but now I was standing in the mud right to the throat. So I was kind of proud of myself that I left my comfort zone and saw something different. And it's amazing, but I really enjoyed it. You would think that it's dirt, who would enjoy standing in there, but the time, the people, the place, everything just was perfect. I, I realized that living in your comfort zone might be a little bit uncomfortable, but in the end, it changes the ways you look at everything. It changes the way you appreciate the stuff you have. Sometimes you need to leave your comfort zone to see who tru you truly are and to progress and develop as a person. So Wednesday evening is traditionally an energizer evening, and we were leaving the office. Everyone is dead tired. We're, we push it. The schedule is hard. And we're walking down the street and thinking of what games are we going to play, and we get to the park, and we lead a few games, but then Tom looks at me, and he says, we should get ice cream. And so we, we organized the students, and we walked down to Georgetown, and of course, as a big group, it's, it's pretty hard. It's like, it was it's Wednesday evening, so there's not a lot of people, but you take 33 people to one ice cream place and the line is long, <laughs> no matter what. So I ended up breaking off with a group and we walked back up and around and backtracked and we were, ended up at Georgetown Scoops. And it was just the five of us from five different countries and we're getting ice cream and crepes and they were really excited to finally sit down and talk with each other. And it was a little round metal table and one of the girls is blind. And so I was describing the evening to her. I was telling her, oh, there's Christmas lights in the bushes. And she's asking about, you know, the buildings. She's like, they're all brick, right? And I'm like, yeah, and it's, they're all kind of together and painted in different colors. We're sitting there talking, and I realize we, we start talking about friendship, and we talk about our expectations and what it's like to live in America. And I was sharing with them some things about my own life, about being friends or finding friends and what that was like for me at their age, their wisdom and their insight into those situations was just mind-blowing. And I remember looking up at the sky at one point and seeing the stars and just kind of feeling this night air and realizing there is absolutely nowhere else in the world that I want to be right now. I want to be with these students sitting here just talking over ice cream for as long as I possibly can. And I am the luckiest person in the world to get to be sitting here and talking with them in this moment. Twenty two thirty three is produced by the Collaboratory an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs.